how racism, structural racism and its impact in criminal justice and then how we police our communities and educational outcomes and access to COVID vaccines, all of that really are those core underlying factors that contribute directly to the lived experience of everyone, not even whether you're Black, Indigenous or person of color. Those health outcomes that are tied back to structural forms of oppression really do dramatically impact all of us. Hey, what's up? This is Corey Dion Lewis, clinical health coach and host of the Healthy Project podcast. Now, the research shows that social determinants can have a greater impact on your health more than healthcare or lifestyle choices. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss how to improve health and reduce health inequity by speaking to healthcare professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a review. Or you can also make a donation to The Healthy Project using the link in the description. It takes 30 seconds and it's super easy. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Now let's get started. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Healthy Project Podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. Uh, I have a great guest in the building today. I have Joy Marsh. Vice President of Equity and Inclusion at UCARE. Uh, Joy, thank you so much for being on with me today. I truly appreciate it. Oh my gosh, Corey, it's uh, it's my pleasure. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. So, you know, before we get into the topic at hand, uh, how about you tell the people a little bit about yourself and what gets you up in the morning? Sure. Like you said, I'm Joy Marsh, Vice President for Equity and Inclusion for UCARE in Minnesota. Um, what gets me up in the morning? That's a great question. Typically, um, a sense of urgency about tackling my day. I tend to wake up with all of the thoughts in my head running, run all the things that need to, to happen. Um, and one of the things that's really core to me, who I am as an individual and how I show up is my commitment to equity and justice. And, um, and so always thinking about ways in which we can increase opportunity for those who are most marginalized, those who experience the weight of oppression from within systems. Um, and so really grateful one to do that for my job, but also uh, to have that be my contribution to life. So that's what gets me up. Yeah. And, and you know, Joy, just, just from doing research and, and learning more about you before we did this interview, you know, the past couple of years, the term health equity, inclusion, diversity has been thrown around everywhere, but you've been about that life for a long time. You know, so um, I would love to know what does health equity mean to you? Yeah, that that's such a great question. Um, I do feel like I've been about that life for a long time. <laughs> um, when I think about health equity, it was actually one of our former um, commissioners of health for the state of Minnesota who helped me get a deeper sense of how so much of the work I had been doing either in my personal life through community organizing um, or even just as an individual and community really did tie to health. When we think about those social risk factors and those social determinants of health, so much of the things that we care about that I've cared about from a policy perspective around criminal justice reform and housing and educational outcomes, all of those are such core contributors to health and health outcomes. So I think of health equity really expansively. I absolutely care about the physical health of the members that we serve in the communities where they live, but I also care about those underlying factors that contribute so directly to those health outcomes. Right. And, and it's those underlining things that we don't really think about. It, you know, it's So, you know, when, when you say, when you think of those, those underlining, you know, um, causes, what are some examples of those that 
we may not be, we may not think play a, a key role in health equity. Absolutely. So when I think about underlying factors, I think really heavily about structural oppression, forms of structural oppression, their policies, their practices that undergird systems and institutions in our nation that are really fundamentally rooted in elevating the needs of some, a very narrow cross-section of the population, and really creating such harm to so many others. And more and more, what we've seen in the last two years in particular is how the, how racism, structural racism and its impact in criminal justice and in how we police our communities and educational outcomes and access to COVID vaccines, all of that um, really are those core underlying factors that contribute directly to the lived experience of everyone, not even whether you're Black, Indigenous or person of color, those health outcomes that are tied back to structural forms of oppression really do dramatically impact all of us because they shape the communities in which we live. They shape the costs of healthcare and healthcare delivery. They shape the sorts of resources that are available to us, um, the sorts of ways in which people can show up in community. Right. I mean, it's, it's such a, it's such a complex I, I will say this. I don't envy what you have, what you do, <laughs> because it's so there's just there's so many moving parts. There's so much uh, that goes into it. But go, going going into health equity and, and going into this work, you know, what what is your what, what is your first thing that you think about or what, what do you do? Because there's, there, like you said, there there's policy, but there's also, you know, different conditions that are involved, how do you structure yourself or when you go into this fight with with equity and improving the health of communities, not just one person? Corey, your point about that, the expansiveness of this work is, it, it it's so true. There is so much that can be done in order to advance equity and that needs to be done to advance equity, that it's work that exceeds any one person's lifetime. And so part of my approach to your question is, I have to be really, really clear about what my contribution to this work is. In my lifetime, I will not eradicate racism. I will not eradicate structural forms of oppression. I will not, afford, I will not um, eradicate harm that is targeted at individuals who are living with disabilities or individuals who have lower financial resources, individuals who might be immigrants, refugees, who identify as LGBTQIA+. I can't do that in my lifetime. And so to set an expectation of what I can do, or even an organization like you care can achieve um, in, in a narrow period of time, it has to be within the context of what our actual contribution to the work can be bottom line. So getting really, really clear in the pandemic, the last two years in particular, especially being in Minneapolis and seeing the impact of George Floyd's murder firsthand um, as a resident of the city, I've had to get really, really clear about what I can do as an individual, even as a leader in this work in my organization, which affords me the opportunity to work within my organization as we get um, increasingly clear about what our contribution is so that we don't set ourselves up for failure to say, oh, within a year, I'm going to eliminate all health disparities or within right. a year, I'm going to eradicate the, you know, the, the gap between this community and that community as it relates to health outcomes. 
because those are impossible sorts of outcomes to achieve. But what we can do is become clear about what we're going to contribute to the work, build some really amazing relationships with other organizations, listen intently to those individuals who are most represented in those disparate outcomes because community knows best what community needs and then be willing to work humbly with one another in order to achieve um, those outcomes. Right. So stay focused, collaborate, stay stay in your lane and, and, and make a change where, where you can. Absolutely. You said it um, in a lot fewer words, much more eloquently than I did. But that's that's what's so key is like you have to be really clear about what your lane is um, and stick with it and know that you cannot do this by yourself. Right. Absolutely. And and you brought up, you know, you care. I know that's where you currently work um, and, and you're doing the work there. Um, but most people, when they think of payers, they don't think about their role in health disparities or health health equity. So, you know, what role do payers play like you care in addressing health disparities? Yeah, when we think about our ability to enhance health outcomes while delivering affordable healthcare solutions for our members, creating a, a supportive environment for our providers to be able to to get the support that they need in order to deliver care. We care a lot about health outcomes. We care a lot about health equity. And so as a result of that, we have to be constantly thinking about what are those costs associated that contribute to these health outcomes that we're seeing? What are those factors? Again, those underlying factors that we as an organization can support influencing, addressing those disparities where they exist. Because it's it's not only a moral imperative for you care as an organization, because of our values as a managed care organization because we serve so heavily those individuals who are on state public programs like Medicaid, but also because it is, it's, it's an economic imperative for us as well. Um, the impact of structural racism, as we've seen, again, looking back to the pandemic, we see those health outcomes, particularly in Black, Indigenous, and people of color. And we know that structural racism is an underlying cause of that because those health outcomes are as disparate as they are and as um, painful as they are from a moral and economic perspective, we have to do something in order to be a part of that work. We can't just sit back and pay claims. Um, We have to understand the lived experience of our members so that we can have an understanding of how we determine which how, how we pay claims and actually even develop the products that we need in order to meet those needs of our communities. You know, that's, that's so, I agree with a hundred percent of everything you just said. And you said something that was so simple, but yet I feel like can be um, very difficult for a lot of people that may not have the experience working with people or, you know, um, trying to help people of color or being those underserved populations. And that is understanding. So, you know, what, um, and I know you're there doing the work, you know, letting people, you know, understand a little bit better of how we can improve health outcomes, but, what what can people do to better understand um, that talking about racism is or the the racism and how it has an impact on our health or other social determinants? How can we help people better understand that these are are factors that we need to take seriously? And it's just not some it's just not a headline in the news. Yeah, that's a that is a great question. Um, and one of the things I 
I appreciate in the era that we're in, particularly because, as you said, there's such a heightened awareness around health equity and around equity generally. And there's so much conversation that's happening around social determinants of health. And you see healthcare organizations um, putting out these statements about becoming anti-racist and in driving health equity. Because there's so much attention on it, there's also so much data that's on it as well. These these challenges, while they've existed in this nation for hundreds of years, are becoming increasingly better documented. So I would invite people to begin from a place of curiosity. Um, It's reasonable to expect that that what we've learned up to this point about the lived experiences of people who are different than us, that the information we have that informs those perspectives is really narrow. If my orientation to people who are living with disabilities is, is only based on what I see on television and I don't have relationships with individuals who have disabilities, then my perspective is going to be very limited. And so I would invite that curiosity from those who want to learn more and to understand more about those lived experiences to actually look at some of the data that's there if you want to take a clinical approach to it. But there's also just volumes of books that have been written. There are TED Talks. There's easily accessible information on the web through through simple Google searches, YouTube videos, all of, and then like podcasts like this, engaging in conversations and hearing from people in order to expand understanding um, is a great place to start for anyone. Yeah, doing your Googles is is great. Doing the Googles, right? Yeah. Just like Google it. It's there. <laughs> it's there. I, I want to go there. back. <laughs> sorry. sorry. Um, I wanted to go back to something that you said, you know, earlier in the conversation about the importance of collaboration and community. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about what can um, payers or other organizations, well, who can they collaborate with? What does that look like? And uh, how does that benefit the community? One of the fundamental beliefs that I have about any sort of equitable work is that you have got to include those individuals who are most represented in the disparities that you seek to address. It is not effective, um, it's not as powerful, and it's certainly not transformational for individuals to assume the best intention um, of other people with whom they're not in direct relationship and not including those individuals in a powerful way of co-creating those solutions. Nobody knows better than the communities that um, who are represented in disparities about what those barriers are that get in the way of their ability to seek healthcare, for example, to go to the doctor, to get an immunization, whatever those factors are, the individuals and community best know what those barriers are and they best are able to articulate what is going to help motivate and change the very systems um, and culture that results in the behavior change necessary. Because oftentimes, again, back to that limited perspective of what we think we know about community, um, when we operate within that context, we really very likely uphold a very white supremacist sort of colonial perspective of paternalism around communities that we don't actually know. So in order to advance equity, starting at a place of again, curiosity, building those relationships, bringing individuals into the table, and and looking at the outcomes from the perspective of institutional and individual humility to know that I can only accomplish so much, but if I understand the depth and breadth of the problem, then I begin to understand who else needs to be at the table. So I seek those individuals out. I build those relationships with them. I'm able to think more strategically and often more efficiently about how I can actually address those outcomes so that I'm not putting initiatives in place without them being informed by the individuals who are meant to benefit from them 
And I have a better way of being able to assess whether I'm going to have the impact that I desire to have. That's awesome. That's awesome. Is there, is, is there, and and I'm just, I have, I haven't experienced this, but I'm really curious on your perspective on um, when, when money is involved or, you know, ROI, I feel like that is always um, when we're talking about, because a lot of these things that we're doing within the community, there's not necessarily dollars involved as far as, oh, what's my return on on this? Or what's my return on that? But how do you get past that? How do you start to let someone see the, the value of the investment over the return on the investment? Um, there is a financial cost for racism, which again, is one of those topics that are, that mm. are well-documented. There's a financial cost to all of us for health disparities. And so- If we're investing in initiatives that are informed by community and we are working alongside community to implement those investments and those strategies, then there is a return on that investment. Um, We cannot as a nation continue to persist with things as they are and expect that we're not somehow all being harmed as a result of that. There are costs to all of us when we uphold systems and structures, policies and practices that are, again, are designed, whether directly or indirectly, to benefit a certain set of people and, and, um, and not others. We can't expect that if we continue with the status quo that somehow we're not all paying the price. We're paying the price right now. Um, the, the, the sort of racial um, reckoning that people often talk about within the last couple of years that's coming mm-hmm. to light, our deepening awareness about health disparities um, is helping us all understand that there's a challenge in front of us. But what we need to do more talking about is that how every single one of us, whether you're Black, Indigenous, whether you're um, white living in a rural community, whether you're um, Latinx living in an urban community, all of us are paying the price for these systems and structures as they exist right now. You might not be someone living with a disability, but those very policies and practices that are creating barriers for individuals that are harm all of us. So the more we can Again, stay curious, understand more of what the current costs are for everyone, then the more we begin to appreciate the investments that are being made um, in the places, even if we don't feel as though those investments directly benefit us. Right. That's awesome. Awesome. That's so awesome. Joy, like I said, you, you've been you've been on the forefronts of this for a long time, not just with you care, but with, you know, other um, organizations. How, how do you feel about the, the work of health equity? Where, where's your, where's your confidence level at with it? I'm, obviously I'm sure it's high cause you're in there, you're in it. Um, but you know, how do you, where do you see it going in the future and, and, and being a part of, you know, um, the community? Yeah, Corey, uh, you know, as a black woman, um, I, do show up into this work with from a place of hope, of hopefulness. Um, I acknowledge that while we as a nation um, have a long way to go in order to really address and fully close those gaps that we have in, in health outcomes, that we're not where we started. I believe that structural racism it morphs over time, how it shows up um, while we at one point in our nation had really explicit types of laws. Some of the less explicit types of laws still have a direct harm on um, 
Black, Indigenous, people of color. While at one point we had more explicit laws that created barriers for other communities, we're seeing that some of those laws are a bit less, a bit, a bit less explicit. So being um, someone who approaches the work from a place of um, hope, uh, confidence in my own individual calling, so much of my work is tied to my own spiritual practice. And so how I show up in the world is deeply tied to this work. Staying committed to that and staying grounded in that helps me acknowledge that, yes, I know that I have work to do. And I'm so grateful for everyone that came before me who helped to set a foundation upon which I can build and believe that it's my job and the work to strengthen that foundation and to nurture a future generation to build upon it. That's awesome. That's great. And, you know, this is this is heavy work. This is not not for the uh, faint of heart, but. How, how do you how do you break away from from it? Like, how do you keep your your mental health um, intact? I have I may have an idea of what you do Ooh. just from from some some um, some researching, doing my Googles from your Googles. <laughs> <laughs> but how how do you keep your your mental health um, through all this work you do? Yeah. Um, well, I want to just, I, I feel like particularly within the Black community, it's important to name that um, mental health and talking about mental health is deeply important. How do we normalize that, mm-hmm. right? How do we normalize the fact that our mental health is critically important for us to address and that um, operating in this type of role in particular, where you're both working to to um, address systems of harm while also being the person who's impacted by systems of harm, that this is a very challenging type of field to be in. And that can be if you're a person of color, if you're someone who identifies as LGBTQIA+, if you're an immigrant or a refugee, regardless, if you're someone who is whose lived experience is also impacted by these sorts of policies and you're also struggling from a health equity perspective when we look at determinants of health, it's hard to stay in that place. So to the question of mental health, like how do I maintain it? I want to just acknowledge these last few years in particular have been exceedingly difficult mm-hmm. for me. They've been exceedingly difficult for so many of my allies and colleagues who work in this sort of work across the nation. So I won't say fundamentally that my mental health has always been the best throughout the course of the work, but there are things that I do in order to stay aware Um I'm in therapy, have been for years. I'm really diligent about that. I mentioned before how much this work is tied to my own spiritual practice, which is also an important part of that. The community that I build, the intention that I bring to the work and really understanding what's my contribution and working really carefully to stay in my lane, to use the phrase used before, but to stay in my lane and to understand what that is. And to build a community of people around me who share these values and are committed to this work is also deeply important. Along the way, especially in my previous role, I picked up a lot of interest in baking. Um, that was my, I don't know if that's what you Googled. Um, that's what you Googled. Um, but yeah, I picked up uh, my, my one of my core mindfulness activities was in baking. And so I really became passionate about making French macarons um, and got a lot of um, attention around the French macarons that I made. And I, and I recognized that as my own... Um, my own sense of balance and clarity about the work, um, the own strength of my own mental health, um, being in 
the work environment that I'm in currently at UCARE, that it's such a mission-driven organization with deep commitment to this work at all levels from the board through um, our frontline staff, really has helped to also elevate just how much time I need to spend making French macarons, which isn't <laughs> as much lately. And I feel like that's uh, a good thing, but yeah. also it took a long time to build that skill. So I don't want to lose it. Ultimately. Right. <laughs> right. I, I just want to say that, you know, just um, on, on the topic of mental health and yes, it's important, but even the, the mindset now of people, especially in the black community, when you say I'm going to therapy and, and when I say that to my friends now, it's more of a like, oh, that's dope. You know, I'm not like a, ooh, like it, it, there's, there's no stigma behind it. There's, let me take that back. There is some stigma there. Yeah. It's still there. But depending on what community that you're in or um, the types of people you're around, the type of people I am around, is more of a, um, yeah, you, yeah, good thing you are. Not because you're crazy, but because we see the benefit of um keeping our mental well and being in and, and being in therapy does yeah, that i I, I would agree wholeheartedly. I'm really grateful that um as a people, as a nation generally, as a people, as black people um in particular, that we have begun to normalize the conversations about therapy. And there is and there, you know, you can get a t-shirt made, you know, that talks about therapy. Right. So to and by by a black artist. And so to that end, I feel like um there's a great benefit to to us as a people nationally, that we're really beginning to elevate um, the importance of of mental health and mental well-being. That's great. Well, Joy, thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast with me today. I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. Um, anybody listening that wants to learn more about you, about you care and the things that you and you care are doing, um, where can they reach you? Yeah, that's great. I mean, the best place to probably find me is on LinkedIn. I am on LinkedIn. Um, you care as an organization is very, um, we're, we're based in Minnesota. We've been part of Minnesota community for nearly 40 years, but um, actively looking to come into your Iowa base, looking to come into Iowa and supporting the very similar sort of community in Iowa that we're, that we're currently supporting in Minnesota. So follow me um, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I'm apt to post some things here and there, but also check out UCARE. Um, we like to tell the story of the work that we do to make communities stronger and to advance health equity and anti-racism and everything we do. Awesome. Awesome. And I'll make sure I have those links in the description of this episode. So you can go there and check them out. Um, again, Joy, thank you so much. Uh, and everyone, thank you for listening. I'll holler at you next time. Thanks, Corey.